to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to, well, me. My name is Sarah Nixon, public programmer here at the St. Catharines Museum. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. This is part two of our Canal Crossings mini-series, where we explore the bridges that cross the Welland Canal. To help tell the fascinating story of these engineering structures, I brought on a longtime St. Catharines Museum volunteer, Des Corin. Hi, Sarah. Glad to be with you again. Oh, hey, Des. It's great to hear from you. As uh, you might be able to tell listeners, we are uh, recording with Des over the phone, and I am currently recording this in my home as we practice safe physical distancing. So in part one of our mini-series, we considered the history of the bridges built over the Welland Canal. We explored the different types of bridges and how they shaped the community they served. So today, let's bring our conversation up to today and talk about the bridges still in use in our community. Des, let's start with the numbers. In part one, we learned that originally 20 bridges were built across the canal from St. Catharines to Port Colburn. Which bridges are still in use today? And local listeners, let's all do a mental count of how many bridges you regularly use in your daily life. Okay, so let's start with number one, which of course would be Lakeshore Road. Uh, That bridge originally being both road and rail, today strictly just uh, road. From there we go to number 3A as opposed to number 3. We'll explain that a little later. But number three, of course, is Carlton Street. And from then we move on to bridge number four, uh, which, of course, is uh, Homer Bridge. Uh, that was the only bridge built by the Scherzer Rolling Company, and we may explain that a little later, too, why it's different than number six. But in between, of course, we have number five, which is Glendale Avenue. Then bridge number six is the railroad bridge right at the entrance of lock four Uh, and from there we go to number 11 Allenburg and there's many stories we'll talk about from Allenburg from there we jump up to Port Colburn to bridge number 19 which is Main Street Uh, number 19A is Mellonby Avenue now that bridge wasn't part of the original it was opened in 1981 and finally, bridge number 21, which is Clarence Street, also in Port Colburn. In between, or in addition to those, we still have bridge number 17, which was the railroad bridge built by the Wabash Railroad Company in uh, at Forks Road. It still exists today and is still actively used today. The other bridge going back to the originals, which still exists, is bridge number 15, 
also in Welland, uh, and it was, of course, the Swing Bridge. And if I just could add a comment, unfortunately, that bridge goes back to 1915, and it really has the look of 1915. It, it, it is just basically a orange-colored, uh, well, a not pleasant orange color, which, of course, is rust. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, being a historian, or at least a partial historian, I would like to see a, 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 a more pleasant picture, but the historical value overrides the unpleasant picture. So that basically covers the, the bridges as they exist today. Oh, that's great, Des. We'll definitely have to keep an eye out for the, the orange bridge. <laughs> um, okay, so going back to doing a mental count of the bridges we regularly use, maybe this was an unfair challenge for me because since I don't live in St. Catharines, I really only use the bridges around the St. Catharines Museum, which are the Homer Bridge, number four, and Glendale Bridge, number five. So, Des, how many of these canal crossings would you say you use? Well, it all depends where I'm going, obviously. I live in the north end of St. Catharines, so if I'm going to Niagara and the Lake or that direction, uh, obviously Lakeshore Road would be the most likely one. If I should be on my way to Avondale to get ice cream in the summertime, why Carlton Street would be by far the closest. And then, of course, we have both in, in the city, uh, Homer and uh, Glendale, and both of those sort of become the, the backup if the other two are in use or one of them is in use sometimes. So it, it really boils down to where I can get there the fastest and with the least aggravation. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> so one thing I noticed when you were listing the bridges that are currently in use is the numbers again, right? You jump from, you know, bridge number five in Glendale to, you know, bridge number 17. Um, there's not all of the bridges are still around as we alluded to in the first episode. So I want to ask what happened to the other bridges? Well, they've all been basically removed, uh, just simply taken down and no longer exist. Okay, so some of them have been removed and that's just because maybe we didn't need them as much anymore or roads changed and our needs and uses have changed. So... Most of the bridges have been taken down, but let's say some of us have a bit more time on our hands now and want to spend some time outdoors, of course, in safe physical distance from others. I'm asking for a friend, of course, but are there any remnants of these bridges that we might be able to find? Uh, there certainly are, but you have to be uh, diligent and seeking them out. If you look at the changes we have seen, uh, the, well, you wouldn't even notice it, but at, at Carlton Street, that bridge is no longer 3, it's 3A. And that's because the, uh, in 1996, a ship by the name of the Kamakawi Maru, a Japanese freighter, hit the bridge, knocked it down, and it ended up that that bridge was reconstructed not exactly where it was. Originally, it was right on the edge of, of the lock wall. They moved it farther back. So that explains why that is now called 3A instead of what it was originally 3. Jumping from there, if you look at the bridges that are no longer around, bridge 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all gone. And if you pace that out, number 7 was just beyond 
the guard gate of Lock 7 up on Thorold. Uh, and then from there, about three, 400 yards was uh, bridge number eight, which of course was one of the 1915 swing bridges. And there you can very clearly see the, the cement abutment where it was partially built. There going farther south, you could run into Ontario paper and at nine, that's where bridge number nine was and you can see where it was built. And farther on down is bridge number 10. Now 10 stands out as, as really a, a signature situation because that bridge was what behind today what was uh, Hayes Dana frame plant and Hayes Dana drivetrain. It was a railroad bridge, a vertical lift railroad bridge. And today the abutment is very obviously uh, visible on, uh, at the canal. Unfortunately, in that case, uh, the, uh, the people with paint at night have got out and destroyed some of the view, but it is there. And even more interesting to that is the fact that the railroad itself, the rails still exist. They stick out oh, just a few inches over the edge. But whenever you walk the trail there, you can actually see them and you can see the bed of where the railroad actually went. So that covers the, that group of uh, bridges right there. Moving from there, number 12, we already covered a little bit in our last uh, post, but that of course was the, uh, the Robinson, uh, Port Robinson Bridge and it's obviously gone. There we jump ahead to the city of Welland and Welland, uh, Bridges 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are all, we're all within the city limits. Bridge number 13 is probably one of the more interesting ones, it being the signature bridge of downtown Welland. Just a little tidbit here. When that bridge was built in 1930, 31, it cost $936,000. Just recently, in the last couple of years, it was repainted. I emphasize repainted. It cost over $5 million to repaint it. Oh, so my it gosh. Just, just gives you an idea of how things have changed. Now, yeah. when it, that, rather than to explain that just a tad, they, there's a lot of chipping to be done because the paint back in those days was lead-based, so there were mm -hmm. many complications. But that just gives you an idea of the difference in dollars and cents. So number 13 is Main Street in Welland. Number 14 is Lincoln Avenue in Welland. There, there is absolutely no indication that there ever was a real, uh, ever was any kind of a bridge over the canal because today it's a very good-looking, uh, smooth bridge, just like any other road bridge. Uh, we've already touched on 15 being the railroad. Number 16 is somewhat interesting in a sense. It's almost the same as 14. It's now a solid road bridge with no evidence of what what it was before. But at that point. That is where the original feeder canal joined the original canal. And the city of Welland have done a really good job there. And part of that lock is preserved. It's, it's really just crumbling, but it's there filled with water. And they've posted all around it the story of what well, that was called the junction back in the 1820s and 30s. That's like 100 years before what we're talking about now. So that's just a little tidbit to the side. Mm. Moving from there, we cover bridge number 17, which, of course, we just said is operational. And bridge number 18, that was the original Forks Road bridge, which was just removed a couple of years ago. That's totally in limbo today because uh, powers that me are still trying to figure out what to do or what not to do. 
And the only other bridge which has disappeared is bridge number 20, which was just a few, uh, maybe 50 to 100 yards south, no, make that north of Clarence Bridge uh, in Port Colborne. That pretty well covers, you know, what you can see. But uh, interesting, just to sum- summarize that, if you go on a hike uh, at, uh, starting at lock 7 to lock 10, uh, that's about 3, maybe maybe 3K, all those four bridges were in that area. And if you do from Main Street to Forks Road, probably another, maybe 4K. But So you've got most of the bridges in those two areas that no longer exist. Oh man, this is great, Des. It sounds like there's lots of opportunities for some safe physical distancing hikes in our horizon. So thanks for that. Do you think you could talk about the tunnels that have been built? This is a whole different type of canal crossing. Rather than building over the canal, as we did traditionally, the tunnels meant that we also have built under the canal. Why was this decision made, and what kind of challenges did this pose? Well, the tunnels are interesting in the fact that if you look at the the first group we talked about in, in Thorold, the, whenever the Thorold Tunnel was opened, which took place, uh, Thorold was like September 18, 1968, that, of course, made transportation much easier back and forth. And so, consequently, that's why they were all, uh, well, weren't necessary, but they certainly were of no use anymore. And when you go to Welland, those bridges 13 through 18 become totally redundant with the bypass opening. We've already touched on the bypass before. If the thoughts of making the canal bigger, wider, deeper back when, the bypass totally fit that mode and that was part of, of uh, what, what the thinking was at the time that maybe this would be. In addition to, of course, the, the big reason was to get the traffic uh, flowing better in, in the city of Welland. So in, in Welland, they ended up with actually two bridges Main Street Bridge and Townline Bridge. Now, Townline Bridge is is uh, notable in the fact that it is dual. It is both road and rail, which of course explains helps take the the flow from some of the bridges which were strictly rail. Uh, that covers that, and of course Main Street itself was the main reason to uh, that tunnel. So the t- the tunnels were built, but then all those bridges became redundant because the canal no longer use them. So, and this all took place in pretty well at the start of the 1972 season. Do you have any information about any challenges that might have been posed by the tunnels, like in building them? Like they're such a different engineering feat than building a crossing over the canal. Well, I, I think uh, Acres Engineering out of Niagara Falls is one of the principal people involved. And I think the fact that, that we had developed the uh, engineering capabilities, and ultimately it was just a matter of probably taking what engineering existed. I don't think there was anything startlingly new that these bridges were going to be any different than any other bridge throughout the world, which were, you know, I'm thinking of the Ambassador Tunnel and some of the other bigger tunnels. So I, I don't think it was anything super, super unusual. It was just being totally practical that you had to get from one side of the canal to the other. We aren't going to be using the old canal. We've now got a new canal. So rather than going with bridges, which, of course, are above ground, maintenance, all that sort of thing, probably costs much more than what, what the tunnel does. Although now, just the 
throw in another wrinkle to this, the fact that the Thoral Tunnel is like 52 years old, and I've got real trouble with that, realizing that I remember well that tunnel opening, that was 52 years ago, and of course today we have some problems with it in, in the maintenance, but then by the same token, had there been a, a bridge above, uh, maintenance over the 52 years would have been way more than what it is now. So it was a, 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 a common sense, practical idea, which, uh, I, you know, I, I think did work. Oh, thanks so much for adding that perspective. I didn't really think about the ongoing maintenance that might be taken with a bridge uh, versus a tunnel. So some bridges were removed and replaced with tunnels, but in St. Catharines, no bridges were removed. But instead, an even bigger bridge was constructed, the Garden City Skyway. Can you talk a bit about this? Well, of course, the Skyway opened October 10th, 1963. And any of us older folk remember it well and that we had to pay to get across it. Uh, and of course, that I'm going by memory, I'm believing it was 10 cents at the beginning. The, the toll booths existed through 1973, at which time they had increased to 25 cents. But that bridge became really necessary, not so much because, well, there, there was obviously no, no bypass as there was in Welland, but that idea also tied into the Seaway opened in 1959, uh, bigger, better, wider, deeper. There was a thought at one point in time of making uh, the locks one through uh, three twinned, then we would have more traffic and all that. And the Queen E Way used Homer Bridge. So if you thought about a, a weekend and a, in the summertime, whenever people from Toronto and elsewhere went to Niagara Falls, and then they were lined up for hours at Homer Bridge, it only became totally necessary. If you look at numbers from the canal itself, back in that era, the ships were smaller. They were called canalers. And there were many more transits, even though today, tonnage-wise, it isn't that different. The number of transits was greater, way greater. So the bridges were up and down way more than what they would be today. So consequently, that traffic flow, the increase in population, all that made the, Queen, made the Queenie Way great, but the Homer Bridge made it a disaster. And so consequently, the, uh, that was why the Skyway was put together and built in the, the way it was. Oh, interesting. I know that we have uh, photos in the museum collection showing a busy summer day on the QEW using the Homer Bridge, and the traffic goes for kilometers, it seems like. So I'll have to post those in, uh, in the show notes on our blog. That would be good. <laughs> uh, it's kind of interesting to think about you know, the choices between building tunnels versus the, the Garden City Skyway, and it just really has to do with the increased driving traffic, too, and trying to accommodate all of the extra people on the roads and the extra people living in the area and just getting them from point A to point B. Thank you so much for returning to the podcast today to explore the canal crossings still used and some of the innovations that we've seen in the later 20th century. 
on part three of the Canal Crossings mini-series will shed light on the darker history of the bridges by considering accidents and what we can learn from them. Yes, yeah, sir. As, as I went down this bridge uh, rabbit hole, the more I thought about it and the more I realized just how important and vital the canal bridges really were. When you really think about it, the canal bridges all moved. Whenever we think of a bridge today, it's just something that we drive over. We don't give anything of a thought that we're just part of the road. But all those bridges were mechanical. They had, had moving parts. And the engineering and all that went into them, the more I think about it, the more I become impressed with it as opposed to annoyed with it. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This podcast was produced by Sarah Nixon, with special thanks to Des Corin for sharing his research and knowledge. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines. <laughs>